Well, good afternoon. Good to have you. Lot to do today once again. Of course, we are going to talk about Donald Trump. And 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 Paul W on Focus had had Alan Dershowitz on. And this is a guy who defended Donald Trump during his first impeachment trial. This is also a guy who has not voted for Donald Trump, won't vote for Donald Trump, is not a Donald Trump ally, is not a Donald Trump supporter, is not a Donald Trump fan, quite frankly. But this is a guy who says this Georgia case is bogus. It's a bunch of baloney. And the fact that Fannie Willis, the DA down in Fulton County, says that she's going to try 19 cases in six months is a flat-out lie. So we, we will get into that uh, coming up at 2.18, we'll have Mariana Alfaro uh, on with us from the Washington Post. Um, but it, it's an interesting next step to this story, so we'll focus on that coming up. In the meantime, I am fascinated with stories that are just like out of science fiction books. Like this one. You ready? Surgeons who transplanted a pig's kidney into a brain-dead patient, a human, says the transplant has been functioning properly for over a month. The latest experiment, which is being conducted at NYU Health, it's the longest ever a pig kidney has functioned inside a person, albeit a deceased one, and it's not over because researchers are going to track the kidney's performance for a second month. Now, previous attempts from animal to human transplants have failed for they've been doing this for decades and they fail every time because the immune system attacks the foreign tissue and it it doesn't jive but the difference here is that this pig's kidney is from a genetically modified pig making it potentially a breakthrough in this type of technology in this type of this type of of medical advancement now, this body was donated. This family says this this person would have loved to have helped. And this is a way for them to kind of live forever. They'll be in the medical history books and yada, yada. A, a, a pig kidney. Unbelievable. Also, you know my, uh, my trepidation, which is a, a kind way of putting my absolute fear of AI. How about this? Google DeepMind, which is a generative AI platform, which is the one that really freaks me out. Because the difference between generative AI and AI is is AGI allows you to it 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 is cognizant. It thinks it's able to adapt. AI basically just pulls pulls from a pool of information and gives you whatever answer you're looking for. So it, they're they're different. But now Google's getting in the mix. Their latest platform is 21 different types of personal and professional tasks that you can ask it that it will give you life advice. It'll give you ideas. It'll give you instructions on on planning something, tutoring tips. Here's an example. Ready? And, And I want you guys to weigh in on this. They were given an example about uh not having enough money to travel for a wedding saying I've known this person forever. She's one of my best friends, but I'm out of work. I don't have enough money to afford the plane tickets, the hotel, the whole deal. Um, what do I do? Do I go? Do I not go? And 
and chat this chatbot, this this uh, Google uh, DeepMind platform gave him an answer. So now here's my, you know what it sounds like? It almost sounds like one of our what would you do segments. That's what I was thinking. This is, now you can say, sorry, Susan, I couldn't go because Deep Deep Mind told me that it wasn't a good idea. I shouldn't dip into my 401k. It's like a magic eight ball. It's not great. <laughs> I can tell you that. And 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 what's the, so Susan's going to go, hey, Chad, I don't care. You shouldn't be listening to a, a, a computer screen. It's unbelievable. Um, meanwhile, we have been watching the, the, not the, the degeneration of, of police in this country, but, but how much we value our police based on, on money. And some municipalities in the wake of the George Floyd murder was, they were taking away money. Other municipalities were, were pushing money into the police department. Well, now you've got a small town in Minnesota. That will have a grand total of zero police officers because they're paying them $22 an hour. The police chief, uh, a couple of full-time police officers and and, and part-time police officers all bailed because they said even in smaller municipalities, they're paying people $30 an hour, $22 an hour for police officers seems to be unbelievable. Um, all right, the Georgia criminal investigation into the alleged election fraud in 2020, the presidential election, may have a connection to Trump supporters here in Michigan. We br- touched on this briefly yesterday. They're facing felony charges for submitting false certificates from GOP electors. WJR senior news analyst Marie Osborne taking a look at the connection and what it may mean going forward. Good afternoon, Marie. Hi, Chris. So at the center of this is that 98-page Georgia indictment of former President Trump and 18 of his associates. We talked a lot about this all day yesterday. The Fulton County Georgia DA, Fannie Willis, uh, along with the DOJ special counsel, Jack Smith, probe, describe a choreographed effort across a lot of states to circumvent official results to try to keep former President Trump in power. The states include Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and right here in Michigan. 16 Trump supporters here in Michigan facing felony charges. Uh, they face them because they signed a certificate inside of the GOP headquarters in December of 2020 that falsely claimed Trump uh, won the state's presidential election and its 16 electoral votes instead of Joe Biden. Many of those supporters have said publicly that they thought they were putting their name on a sign-up sheet that day. The indictment in Georgia said Trump and 18 others joined a conspiracy to change the outcome of the election. It, and it, then it goes on to allege that the, uh, there was a criminal organization and members of the group made false statements, filed false documents, committed forgery and impersonated public officers. Now, here in Michigan, the attorney general, Dana Nessel, has focused on the false electors themselves. She does not focused on former President Trump. Special Prosecutor Jack Smith, though, he's targeted Trump, and D.A. Willis is going after the former president and then this broad group of people. And Chris, in the Georgia indictment, Rudy Giuliani was specifically named because he and his lawyer, Jenna Ellis, got Michigan lawmakers to appoint presidential electors to cast Michigan's electoral votes for Trump. And, of course, we all know that's against the law. That's what's alleged in that uh, indictment.
Well, it's very interesting. This is a a, a, a very fluid case, and we will hear from Alan Dershowitz, uh, attorney Alan Dershowitz, uh, who talked to Paul W. Smith and Focus uh, just a while ago because he had some interesting things to say about this case in Georgia as well. Uh, Marie, thank you. Thank you. Uh, we will take a break, uh, but I do want to uh, make mention that what Alan Dershowitz is saying is is unbelievable when you consider this is not a Trump guy. This is not a Trump attorney. This is not a Trump. This is not a Trump loyalist. This is somebody who has defended Donald Trump in in his first impeachment hearing. And this is somebody who still maintains he will not vote for Donald Trump. But Donald Trump, 18 others criminally charged. We'll talk more about that case coming up next here on JR Afternoon. Political. She wants to raise money. She wants to run again and be successful. The same thing with Alfred Bragg in, in New York. Uh, these are people who are making their political careers on getting Trump. They want to claim that the election will be before, I'm sorry, the, the case will go to trial before the election. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. I think it's very unlikely. That's Alan Dershowitz on with Paul W. Smith just a short time ago on Focus here on WJR. And this is a guy who is not a Donald Trump's supporter. This is a guy who, Donald, he has not voted for Donald Trump. He does not he does not subscribe to Donald Trump's ideology, but this is a guy who looks at this case out of Georgia and says, this is nuts. This is bogus. Nothing should be coming of it. But because of of the amount of charges against him, Donald Trump's going to get got by somebody. Who is it going to be? What charges are going to be dropped? What's he going to be able to sidestep? That's what remains to be seen. But in the meantime, this latest round of indictments some legal experts say could spell some serious trouble for Donald Trump. Mariana Alfaro is a reporter with The Washington Post. She joins us. Uh, it's great to have you. Um, I understand that that Donald Trump's team and and Fannie Willis's office are in talks for a, a surrender ahead of that uh, August 25th deadline. Is that true? Yes, they haven't set a deadline yet, and I think that there's a bit of a tug of war within Trump's team itself about whether you know he should do it in the next coming days or whether he should do it closer to the final deadline of August 25th. Keep in mind that the first GOP presidential debate is August 23rd, and the former president has said he doesn't want to participate. He hasn't made an official decision, but he has signaled that he won't be there. So you can just picture the split screen, you know, you know, mm-hmm. Trump turning himself in versus all the other contenders uh, showing up to the debate and, you know, how much media attention he would draw away from the debate if he did that. Oh, there's no doubt. <laughs> there's no doubt <laughs> that there will be a, 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 a back and forth with with the, the debate in Milwaukee. But but this is this this particular case, because this is a state case, has the the makings to be a completely different set of circumstances for Donald Trump and the other 18 people named in this indictment, as opposed to, say, Jack Smith's investigation. Because while you've got Democratic lawmakers calling for Jack Smith's case to be and and that trial to be uh, broadcast on on live television, this one most likely will be because this is a state court. This will be in state court, not in federal court. Um, but Mark Meadows, as I understand, is petitioning to move this to the federal level. Why is he doing that? Yes. Yeah, so uh, Mark Meadows, you know, he was Trump's uh, White House chief of staff. So um, under the things that he's being accused of doing in the indictment, um, he's claiming that he did that as he was serving the federal government when he was a federal employee. So under, you know, federal law, there's a federal law known as the removal statute 
which um, allows any officer uh, working for the federal government who faces criminal prosecution in a state court to move those proceedings to a federal court um, if the case relates to actions that uh, they took while they were working in the federal government. So that's his excuse for this. Again, uh, we still don't have um, you know, a comment from Willis on this uh, petition of his, but when you indict 19 people in one go, uh, which is very ambitious uh, for Willis to do, um, you can kind of expect that everyone's going to come up with their own excuses mm -hmm. or their own attempts uh, at getting out of it. So I think that this is the, f the first one and probably the biggest one we'll see. Um, and, and, you know, see how she takes it from there. How do you think this investigation, as, as they were going on kind of in tandem, in mirror of each other, the federal investigation headed up by Jack Smith and then Fannie Willis's investigation in Fulton County, how do you think they, they, they are similar and how, how are they different? Yes, yeah, so... Um, I, we had a story this morning in the Post that just said, you know, that the Jack Smith um, investigation is kind of like going in with like a, a very delicate knife, doing a very delicate cut. Meanwhile, you know, uh, Fannie Willis's investigation is just going in with a hammer and just having a big slash. You're having 19 people in this. Um, it gives her an opportunity under the RICO um, act that she's using to paint a picture, to tell a story. Um, Jack Smith only charged Trump which means that he can't really go after the people around him. He can, you know, name some co-conspirators, but he can't really go after them. Uh, meanwhile, Fannie Willis can get, you know, all these people on, on the stand that he, she can get them to talk. She can get them um, to be part of the story and also charge them and, and kind of that way, you know, show the jury um, a, a bigger picture of what happened um, in Georgia and also just how all of these people were kind of conspiring to do the same thing. And so it's very, very ambitious. It's a sprawling case. Um, and some experts are saying, you know, my, it might be a little too much to get all these 19 people, um, uh, you know, tried at once. But it definitely allows her for more space to make a convincing point that um, all of them were trying to overturn, you know, the results of the 2020 election. What do we know about Fannie Willis? <laughs> uh, well, she um, has been known for being a very vocal, very open uh, prosecutor. You know, she's been doing this since, I mean, she's, she's been working for the Georgia government since 2001. Um, and she grew up, you know, surrounded by law. Her law, her dad was uh, also in, in law. And so she very much has always said that um, she'll talk to the media, she'll talk to the public because she wants to be transparent about the things that she's doing. Some of that has gained her some criticism from Republicans who say, you know, she's only doing this for show. She's only doing this to call attention. She's like, no, you know, the, the law has no political leaning. The law is the law and it's neutral. And so I think that we're going to hear her, you know, a lot in the next few months. She is very much um, a media presence. She definitely knows how to, you know, stand before the cameras and deliver very strong, very um, uh, powerful statements. And so um, I think that she will be a regular um, on our screens for the next few months. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think <laughs> she's going to be a, 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 a main player here. How much of, of her investigation do you think dipped into the findings of the 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 select house committee's investigation on the January 6th incident how how closely do you think she followed their investigation definitely you know all of these investigations are obviously independent but there was a lot of you know crumbs and and, and clues and and findings brought up by the January 6th committee that CNN investigators and definitely also Jack Smith probably um looked into um as they were working on this and I think that you can see a lot of that in the indictment just you know even just timing, she mentions 12 of Trump tweets in the indictment, like even just tying that to what was going on on TV, what was going on on the Capitol, 
um, being able to talk, you know, to those uh, same Georgia election workers that, you know, had delivered very powerful testimony during the Jan 6 hearing. She has them on the indictment, too, and saying, you know, how much their lives were impacted by Trump's um, and, and his allies, you know, alleged decision. So I think that it, it, all of this kind of all ties back together, even though everyone was, you know, chasing their own threads. Um, but I think that, you know, we're seeing all of these claims and all of this evidence repeated over and over again, I think that it kind of just kind of makes the case stronger, but also just clear that nobody here is making up most of this stuff. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, different investigators have tapped on the same issue. How do we think Donald Trump's legal team attacks this case? Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, already they're saying, you know, obviously they're saying he's not guilty that this is all um, a witch hunt, um, that this is all, you know, Democrats weaponizing the government, which is what we've been hearing over and over again, not only from Trump, but also, you know, elected Republicans in the House. Um, but I think for now, you know, the, the, the case is so big and so sprawling, and they're already saying that just because he tweeted doesn't mean that that is evidence that he was trying to, you know, mm-hmm. overturn the results of the election. So I think they're going to lean really heavily into that, like, uh, First Amendment talk and say that, you know, just because he was tweeting this doesn't mean that and that he was protected speech. But uh, so far, that's the biggest clue I think we have into what his defense might be. Yeah, and I, I think that we've even seen that defense, obviously, with, with Jack Smith's investigation into January 6th, into the documents case. Um, and, and, and proving, you know, words are words, but proving intent, proving maliciousness, that can be a whole other ball of wax. And that's going to be something that I think Fannie Willis is going to have to really attack, yeah. because especially when you've got 19 people uh, you know, sitting opposite you in that courtroom and you've got to prove intent. It's it's quite an uphill battle. Uh, yeah. Mariana Alfaro, thank you so much. Good stuff. We appreciate you. your time. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Um, I'd love to hear from you. 800-859-0957. 800-859-0WJR. I'm going to play more Alan Dershowitz audio coming up because, again, for for a guy that is an anti-Trumper, really, um, he's come to the defense of Donald Trump a couple of times. And so we'll play you that audio from his interview with Paul W. Smith coming up shortly. But if you want to weigh in, 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Some new uh, 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 updates to that story today involves Mark Meadows petitioning to move this case from the state level to the federal level because this is a case that happened, according to Mark Meadows, during his time as a federal employee, as a federal worker. He was the secretary, the, 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 the chief of staff to Donald Trump. And so he says that this should be adjudicated at the federal level and not at the state level. We'll see if that's something that gets any nibbles on the line. I'm not sure it will, but we'll keep an eye on it. 800-859-0957. Got to take a break. We'll get your calls and texts next here on JR Afternoon. Catch the Mitch Album Show today at 4. Right now, it's JR Afternoon on 760 WJR. Here's Chris Renwick. Well, they will affect it, whether they will affect it in a way that makes it impossible for voters like me to vote against him or voters who want to vote for him to vote for him. That's impossible to tell, but they've gotten him. There will be some convictions. The New York case, for example, is utter nonsense, but it's New York. Ninety-five percent of the people are, anti, are anti-Trump uh, and Washington, D.C. and Fulton County, two th- you know, two-thirds of the people are anti-Trump. So they're going to get convictions, but the convictions will be reversed on appeal, but the reversals will occur after the election. And so they will succeed in their efforts to get Trump unless 
the defense lawyers can figure out some ways to get these cases to the appellate courts quickly. So that's Alan Dershowitz on with Paul W. Smith uh, uh, earlier this afternoon. And uh, the interesting part in that is, is he's, as he's talking about whether or not this is going to impact Donald Trump's ability to to obtain that GOP nod for president or run for president, whatever it is, it is going to impact him somehow. How much remains to be seen, but he does have a whole lot of charges against him. And 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 the interesting part, Daniel, can you play that one more time and we'll play it just the beginning? Because I want to I want you to listen when he talks about whether or not he would vote for him. Listen. Well, they will affect it, whether they will affect it in a way that makes it impossible for voters like me to vote against him or voters who want They're to right vote for him to vote he's, for him. He's, he's, he's telling you that even so, he's not voting for Donald Trump. This is a guy that isn't voting. This is not a Trump guy. Never has been. But he is looking at the law. He is looking at the at the the circumstantial evidence that surround these charges and even he's saying it's nonsense look i'm not here to tell you one way or the other uh guilty not guilty we'll fall we'll all find out together but but for a guy who does not subscribe to to donald trump's logic to tell you that this is all nonsense i think that needs to be weighed in and he also talked about he was talking about his book it's got, it's called Get Trump, right? And they're they're only selling it on Amazon. No other bookstore will pick it up. Can't you can't sell it in Target because he calls it a, a a way of censoring. This guy doesn't like Donald Trump, but again, he's just looking at what he sees as 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 things unfold as a way of getting Donald Trump. Here's another piece of Alan Dershowitz audio. When Fannie Willis came out in her press conference after the unsealing of these indictments and said, I intend to charge all 19 people together and I want to do it in six months, Dershowitz is calling baloney on that. Who represents the people, the good people of Fulton County, should not start a prosecution against people for lying by herself committing (laughs) a lie, a lie, a real lie, you know. Liar, liar, pants on fire. She she knows she can't bring this case in six months. I've been practicing criminal law for 60 years. I've probably done as many RICO cases as anybody else. There has never been a case like this in the history of the world that has been brought to trial in six months, in eight months, in 10 months. Forget about it. All right. In the meantime, you want to weigh in on Alan Dershowitz and what he had to say, new stuff on the Donald Trump case, 800-859-0957. I, the other part in all of this is as new uh, as well today. Remember we talked about yesterday the information that leaked, those court documents that leaked online before the grand jury even submitted their decision to indict Donald Trump? Well, now the Fulton County Clerk's Office says that an authentic-looking document that appeared to show charges against Donald Trump was actually just a court system test. Reuters broke the news and the clerk's office issued a statement that says no charges had been filed and the document that was circulated was not authentic. Now, of course, Donald Trump's folks have latched on to this. Donald Trump, even himself, saying that the grand jury uh, jury testimony hadn't even finished 
but it's clear the district attorney has already decided how this case will end. They're trying to rob me of my right to due process. This is an absolute disgrace. They called it an unofficial and test sample only. Is that something that you buy? 800-859-0957. Brian, can we get to a couple of texts and then we'll get to the phones? What do we sure. got on, on, on the text? Well. 800-859-0957. You can text or call that same number. We've got apparently all we like to do is spread fear and anger. I'm hearing, I see that on our text. Fear and anger? Yeah. I don't understand that's the. Uh, my, uh, you must be listening to a different show. <laughs> I, 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 uh, no fear and anger here. And they, and it's, it's got an expletive in it, so I've edited that. Okay, good. Air. Yes, good. Thank uh, you. The only other thing we have, uh, and, and I think you'll find this interesting, you and I'll find this interesting. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know where this comes from. I don't know if they, where it's out of blue with a blue. It says, Bluey is amazing. Very funny and clever show. Oh, yeah. I talked to Paul about that <laughs> on my, my little uh, trip at the end of last week. We went and saw Bluey in Grand Rapids. Yeah, so that's where that's from. But, yeah, it's a great show. Um, all right, let's go to the phones. 800-859-0957. Rod's in Plymouth. What's up, Rod? Well, actually, getting away from Dershowitz and Trump, you know, you mentioned AI earlier, and I'm just wondering – if it's going to deter the human ability of creative thinking, and I'm wondering because it's going to be a, is it going to create a more regimented society, commingling all these efficiencies that it's going to create, or is it going to distribute everything more equally in a, like in a conservative society? So I'm wondering where liberalism is going to fit in with all of this because they have nothing but ideologies. All right, just so everybody knows what Rod's talking about, Google DeepMind is working on a generative AI platform that is basically going to allow you to ask it questions and get that feedback. So you you, you could ask it, you know, life advice, uh, different ideas, uh, all kinds of stuff. And the example was that they that were, was given was I don't have any money. My best friend's getting married. It's a destination wedding. I don't have a job. Do I go? Do I not go? And they listen to to this platform. Uh, Rod, I, I I a part of me thinks that yeah we we. we when things become easier, there is a there is a, a a dumbing down of skill sets, right? Like I like I don't I couldn't tell you the last time I uh, picked up a dictionary, like a like a like a like a bound paper dictionary. Couldn't tell you because I just Google a word and and get it. Up. I can't spell anymore. I don't know. I was ever a, able to really spell, but I can't spell anymore because there's just spell check. So I th- there is there is no doubt. I believe what we will see is a dumbing down of of society. How how far that is, I don't know. Maybe we become infinitely smarter. I don't know. But but in terms of the critical thinking, I have to imagine that's going to be impacted. I have to imagine that's going to be affected. I don't think that you. I mean, uh, it, I don't think that you can go through life with then being spoon fed everything. To then being like, it's why Warren Buffett's not going to give his kids any money because that's easy. You don't, you're not, you're not a good person. Then you're not developing any skills. You're just getting piles of cash. And and how are you going to be a productive member of society when you're just taken care of? Like it, it's kind of the same way with AI. It's very difficult to to imagine a world where everything is just spoon fed into your. It, it's it's like a, a mother bird. Chewing up the food and spitting it into the baby's mouth. That's all it is. How, how are you going to be able to learn? I don't know. And, and, and the critical thinking aspect, all of this, too, is, is a whole other ball of wax. I, I, I do believe that 
that if we're going to be relying on a machine or a program to to tell us whether or not we should go see or, or go to a, a friend, a longtime friend's wedding because we don't have any money. Well, you might not already have critical thinking anyway. Like you may not already be able to to go to your friend in person and say, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I have no money. I, I, I love you. I wish you the best. I'll see you when you get back. We'll do dinner, but I I can't do it. I can't make it happen. So, yeah, I, I do believe there's there's a certain level of of dumbing down that we're going to see. Um, in the meantime, we, we have been hearing from, you know, Rick Scott of Florida, Senator Rick Scott. I Before this last State of the Union address by President Joe Biden, Rick Scott had floated out some idea of, of putting sunset laws on, you know, things like Social Security. And while that has not been adopted as a mainstream logic, we now have some analysis that says Social Security will 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 run out to the tune of almost seventeen thousand five hundred dollars for retirees because there just isn't enough there. We'll talk about that next with the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget right here on JR Afternoon. Don't go anywhere. All right, so you know all the bellwether topics, all those things that you talk about with your family at the dining room table, whether it's the economy, education, the border, immigration, all those things. And and those are all important issues. There's no doubt. But there is another huge topic that inevitably the winner of the 2024 presidential election will, will have to face, and that is potentially an insolvent Social Security. Now, according to the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, there could be a 23% across-the-board benefit cut as soon as 2033 to the tune of more than $17,000 per retiree. Now, for people who have retired, for people who have tried to build up a little nest egg but then obviously paid into Social Security and are expecting a certain amount back, if they're not going to get that, that's going to be a a real problem. And we are 10 years away from that. Mark Goldwine is the SVP, the Senior Vice President and Senior Policy Director for the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. And he joins us. Mark, good to have you. These are some pretty staggering numbers that you've outlined in this new report. They are. Look, we've been talking about this for 30 years. We've known Social Security was going to be in trouble. And we had plenty of time to phase in changes. But now it's coming up on us. Ten years away is when today's youngest retirees will be 72. It's when today's 57-year-olds will reach the normal retirement age. This isn't about saving Social Security for our grandkids. It's about saving it for our grandparents. Is this going to be a topic that that these candidates should be answering uh, along with all of those those bellwether issues, whether it's education or the economy? Should, should, Should this be something that they have to they have to answer? This should be top of the list. And and to some of the candidates credit, for example, uh, uh, Vice President Pence, some have been talking about it. But the the two front runners, President Biden and President Trump, have both said versions of. They're not going to touch Social Security or Social Security is off the books. But not touching Social Security is equivalent to endorsing a $17,400 cut for a typical couple retiring in just 10 years. So then how do we address this? How is this? How is this? How do we how do we attack this issue so we don't see this in 2033? So there's only a few levers to choose from. It's actually not that hard as a math problem. You can adjust 
the payroll tax rate. You can adjust how much income people pay that tax on. You can change the retirement age. You can change the benefit formula, or you can change the COLA, the cost of living adjustment. That's pretty much it. Uh, now, I've designed plans with, with colleagues and others that have tried to do a combination approach that have focused on what's going to grow the economy the best, what's going to um, make sure that those most in need have retirement security. But people can have a different plan. It's just there, it's just finding the right combination. The worst plan is the do-nothing plan because that is a 23% immediate across-the-board cut for everyone regardless of age, income, or need in just 10 years' time. Do you see Joe Biden or Donald Trump, and, and I only name those two because they are obviously the front runners for each party, is there any indication that, that they would be taking action on this? Uh, not so far. Again, uh, President Trump has said he's not going to touch Social Security. President Biden and the State of the Union said Social Security is off the books now, which I think means we're not going to touch it. So, so far, it's not good news. But maybe when whoever takes office, whoever wins this next election is, is actually in office and sees just how close this deadline is, their tunes will change. Well, it's going to be a huge problem. And when you consider the the amount of money here that's at stake uh, it's a lot. It's going to be a lot for people who are going to depend on every single dollar. Uh, Mark Goldwine yeah. with the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. Thank you so much. Good stuff. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you got it. Uh, in the meantime, uh, I was uh, doing a little poking around, and I found this this interview that was done between Joe Kernan, uh, one of the co-hosts for uh, CNBC Squat Box, and Phil Swaggle, who is the Congressional Budget Office's director. And, of course, in, in the duh moment of the day, um, inflation of the past couple of years resulted from spending, high government spending. Um, and Joe Kernan, I, I give him credit, he, he put a, a few different hypotheticals out there to Phil Swoggle and, and, and talked about what these next steps are because – while that inflation number is coming down, we are still seeing high prices in almost every sector of our economy. Um, here's what uh, Joe Kernan asked Phil Swoggle, the the uh, director of the Congressional Budget Office. Listen here. Why not use the strength of the dollar and the reserve status of the dollar, knowing that we can do as much as we want and we're always going to be able to borrow? So let's just really ramp it up Keynesian and just... You know, let's let's engender five percent GDP growth from government spending, and you know, damn the torpedoes. We'll worry about it later uh, if we have to. Pay. People think you can do that. It's called MMT. The Fed will save us, print enough money. Why doesn't that work, Phil? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we've seen the, the downsides of that over the past couple of years, you know, for, first with the inflation that resulted. Now, of course, that was partly the supply constraints on top of the fiscal. Oh, of course. Yeah, a high government spending leads to inflation. Yeah, of course it does. Now, Joe Kernan wasn't specifically advocating for that. He's just saying that there are people out there, uh, you know, the Rashida Tlaibs of the world, that are saying spend, spend, spend. Print off more dollar bills. It doesn't matter. We're good for it. Uh, meanwhile, our credit ratings just downgraded. We, we, we still aren't at our infl uh, target inflationary level, and it's a huge problem. So when you partner some of the issues that we're still seeing as Joe Biden goes out to tout Bidenomics, we are still seeing these issues. Couple that with in 10 years, nine and a half years, we could see, you know, a 17 over $17,000 reduction in your Social Security payments. And that's not even mine. I'm not even close to retirement age yet. 
But when I'm there, it, what does that look like? It's going to be a, an absolute problem. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Where do you see this going? Where do you see Social Security going? Because if Joe Biden and Donald Trump aren't willing to tackle it, it's going to be a major issue that we're going to have to deal with. 800-859-0957. Dave's in Rochester. What's up, Dave? Hey, Chris. Uh, no, it's not a problem whatsoever. Uh, all it takes all it takes is a couple word changes. I, I assume we got people in Congress. I don't know what the current Republican group, but have a little common sense and say, hey, couple word changes and Social Security becomes like any fungible commingled dollar in the budget. It gets netted against our debt held by the public, which is like 20, 25 trillion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a useful number. OK, now we do have a general society problem like many countries do. You got an older population. Mm-hmm. OK, it's not Social, Social Security can just be part like any other dollar in and out. OK, but the aging population. We knew about this for years, okay? So, so what's, what's the current Republican plan? It's basically, instead of saying all these people who want to come in, said, let, them, let, them, let them, whether it's legal residence, job visas, natural immigration, let's, let's fill that void for younger people because the, the ratio since 2000 in these past 23 years has gone so far crazy as far as age 25 to 54 prime working age and people under 65, all we need to do is get the population right in. We're doing nothing about it. It's getting worse. Instead, we're saying, oh, maybe we can do that by forcing women who have unwanted pregnancies to have their babies anyway. That's the, that's the Republican plan, okay? But you don't need Social Security tax. You need a long-term thing of getting our, our population to age the prime working age ratio to people over 65. Okay, and I mean, that's fair. I I, I think there's more than one way to skin a cat. I I don't know that anybody really has a comprehensive plan to deal with this issue that the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget is putting out there. If they say that in 10 years we're going to see a $17,000 reduction in Social Security and nobody's got a plan, it it is an issue. Got to take a break. More next. All right, welcome back. 3 o'clock hour. Good to have you with us. Uh, a wild story out there, uh, a, a medical story involving a kidney transplant. And this one is not your average kidney transplant. This is a genetically modified pig kidney into a human. Surgeons who transported that pig kidney into a brain dead patient says the transplant has been functioning properly for over a month. Uh, They say it even looks better than a human kidney. Attempts uh, for decades to to transplant from an animal to a human have been disastrous. They they don't work. Um, But this one has, and they say, Brian, it's mainly because this is genetically modified. Genetically modified pig to a human seems to do the trick. At least for a month. And they say that, that pig DNA and human DNA is very close, so it's close. probably not modified a lot. It's a little weird to but, me. But I imagine they modify it based on oh, yeah. getting it closer. Yeah, and based on maybe the person even, the, the person's DNA if they can. But still, it's like, I mean, I guess it's a good thing if you need a transplant. So sure, ultimately, I mean, it, that's a good well, thing. Well, when you consider you can the people. amount of the, the need out there. And the the lack of of body parts, 
that people and, and and kidneys are very difficult because you have to match. You yeah. have to be a match. So so the fact that there's less and less out there and more people needing them, they think that this could be a real breakthrough. It still feels a little island of Dr. Moreau to me. Yeah, it's very <laughs> it's very much out of a out of a out of a you know horror a, sci-fi correct, novel. Yes. Correct. Um, meanwhile, Google DeepMind has been working on a new generative AI platform to perform 21 different types of personal and professional tasks, including life advice, ideas, uh, tutoring tips. Um, the, this particular project, now Google, when they acquired DeepMind, DeepMind was working mainly on AGI, artificial generative in- intelligence. Google had been working primarily on AI. And the, the difference is AGI is more intuitive. It's more, it's much more like a human brain. You develop, you have feelings, you have ideas, you have wants and needs. That's AGI. AI is more pull, pulling from a pool of information. So Google was focusing more on AI. DeepMind was focusing more on AGI. And when Google acquired DeepMind, the idea here is that they were going to work together. And and But Google was still very much kind of at arm's length with AGI. They weren't really thinking that was something that they wanted to get involved with. But because of this development, the New York Times got materials that that showed this. Because of this development, it shows that they are much more willing to dip their toes into the pool of AGI than previously thought. Because while, you know, ChatGPT and other platforms are really pushing the boundaries, Google really wasn't, so this is a way for them to continue to be in the game. Um, th- there was, there were even meetings within Google that showed there was a pushback, particularly among even developers that were working on DeepMind, to go this far. But now they have, and it's obvious that they're going to get in the arms race for this thing. We told you yesterday about this story about Michael Lore and the Blind Side. Um, you heard about this story, right, Brian? Oh, yeah, I think everybody's heard about okay. this by now. So he, here's an update. You ready? Uh-huh. So Michael Orr says that he was bamboozled. He was never he was never uh, adopted into the Tui family. Instead, uh, he was tricked into signing a conservatorship and that they benefited from his story and got all the money and he got nothing, right? Well, now the Tui family attorney says that Michael Orr tried to shake him down for 15 million bucks <laughs> saying that he'd go public if they didn't pay up. Now, it's obvious they didn't pay up and he went public. So a lawyer for the family says that he tried to shake him down for 15 million dollars and that the Tuies did not trick him into entering a conservatorship because at the time he was 18, they couldn't adopt him, right? Because he was an adult. So the conservatorship was the only way that they could get him help health insurance, a driver's license, right. get him into college. So they were they were running the show from a legal perspective, but but it was all on the up and up, they say. Uh, Michael Orr claims that the family only got a few thousand dollars for the movie, or the, the attorney, excuse me, claims that the family only got a few thousand dollars from the movie, and they always shared or tried to share it with Michael Orr. Then, how about this? There were people calling for Sandra Bullock to give back her Oscar for The Blind Side. (laughs) 
I like that story. What? I thought that one was great. <laughs> what world are we living in? What does Sandra Bullock have to do with any of this? It's not a true story, so it's a lie. And she, she was an actress. She doesn't have a real job. Oh, and, she and, pretends for a living. Yes. <laughs> she should get back every dollar she's made then from a movie because she doesn't actually do anything. She pretends. It's, it's this whole uh, society of outrage we've become that... Everything that affected by this now has to be canceled. And it's like, what? One guy online said, Sandra Bullock should give her Oscar back. She knows she didn't deserve that bleep. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Tremendous. Uh, In the meantime, a beloved community theater in Plymouth could be closing its doors for good if they don't get a tax exemption from the city. Now, last night, the theater was packed with residents who support keeping the Penn Theater alive in Plymouth, and support the city taking action to cut taxes on that facility specifically. WJR Senior News Analyst Marie Osborne taking a look at that controversy. Hi, Marie. Hi, Chris. Community theaters are such a big part of so many of the local communities here in the metro area. So first, a little background here. The Penn Theater in Plymouth was built in 1941 in the Art Deco style. There have been several owners through the years. It closed in 2003, but it was saved by a volunteer group. The Friends of the Penn is a nonprofit group. They purchased the building for $1.2 million in 2021. They say they've made a million dollars worth of improvements to the building and all of that money was donated. And it's a busy place. They're always having films and events there. The theater has been paying property taxes about $25,000 annually. But because it's owned by a nonprofit charitable organization, the group says this theater is eligible for the same property tax exemption as others. I think it's embarrassing to the city of Plymouth. Every nonprofit in the state of Michigan, every nonprofit movie theater in the state of Michigan has property tax exemption. And that is the Friends of the Pen, Ellen Elliott, the CEO there, speaking to Channel 4. Now, the city of Plymouth disagrees. The Penn's application for property tax exemption was denied by the assessor's office. An appeal was filed by the city board. They didn't act on it. The case is now at the Michigan Tax Tribunal. They had a big community the- a meeting at the theater last night. This is the Plymouth City Manager Paul Sincott. The city does not have the authority to just grant tax-exempt status to any particular property. It has to go through a process. Now, Chris, if the tax exemption is not granted, the Friends of the Pen group will need to start fundraising dollars every year to pay the taxes. And then they said that's on top of the building upkeep and then, of course, bringing presentations and programming in. Oof. That is a steep hill to climb. Yep, and it's a cool a community place. theater. It's yeah. a very cool place. I've been there. Yeah, it's a great spot. Well, we'll we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on it. Yeah, stuff. we'll see how this one yeah, comes out. Stuff. Marie Osborne, thank you. All right, we got to take a break. Uh, have you ever heard of skip lagging? Well, apparently the airlines hate it and they're cracking down on it, but it is saving travelers big time money, and it is a very innovative way to travel. And maybe save you a couple bucks. We'll talk about it next here on JR Afternoon. So I got a trip to Atlanta coming up later this month. And it, oh, geez, a couple weeks, I guess. Not even. Jeez, oh, Pete's next week. And um, I'm also flying to Florida towards the end of the year, around, around Thanksgiving. And you, you, when you're looking for airline tickets, it's, it's all, it's, I mean, it is standard procedure that generally 
if you're gonna if you're gonna fly somewhere with a layover to your final destination, the tickets with the layover are always cheaper. It costs more to go direct flight for a variety of reasons. But now there is a, and I had not heard of this until I read the story in the New York Times. But there is something called skip lagging. Skip lagging is hypothetically, let's say I'm I'm flying to Orlando, but there's a layover in Atlanta, and let's say I live in Atlanta, and I want to fly to Orlando, so I look online and find this flight from Detroit to Atlanta to Orlando. Well, I'm in Atlanta. So I can just hop on that connecting flight and fly to Orlando. That's skip lagging. Well, now we have seen a crackdown from the airlines. They don't want this to continue to happen. And it has become a real problem, particularly if this is something you do often. Uh, You're likely to get caught. There's a whole other host of ways you can get caught. And the airlines just aren't. They're not about it. Uh, Paul Hudson is the president of FlyersRights.org, and he joins us. Paul, good to have you with us. I, I, am I just incredibly late to the game? Has skip lagging been around for a long time? And I, I just have had no, I've been completely oblivious. It's been around for quite a while. It, um, it's now getting more prominence because um, airfares are, are going up very considerably. So there's more of a savings in many cases. Why are airlines so vehemently against this? In my mind, you've paid for the ticket. You've essentially paid for two flights, one from destination A to B to B to C. So you've already paid for it. Why do they care where you get on? Well, this this comes down to the fact that airlines want to charge more to go directly to their, their hub airports. Um, they justify charging more for direct flights to, say, Atlanta as supposing to go through Atlanta to say Orlando, because they they allege that they have had to invest more money in those airports. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know it's sort of counterintuitive because if you get off early, it means that your seat is vacant for the rest of the trip. So conceivably, the airline could uh, give that seat to a standby passenger and get double fares. Also. It's counterintuitive because you're going to be paying for a longer distance, but you're actually only be going for a shorter distance. And the more distance you go, of course, the more mm-hmm. it costs the airline. And, and I understand that, but I, I I look at it from a from a customer's perspective as a flyer on an airline. Um, I've you've essentially found a loophole. You found a way to find a cheaper ticket and and to get you where you need to go. And this doesn't always work out depending on your location. It, it it's not always as convenient, but there are people doing it and and the airlines have become so incensed with it it seems that they're they're doing things like like suing customers um and and even stripping away frequent flyer miles. Yes. This this um practice is is generally prohibited in the um, the contracts of carriage, which is the, the legal term for the what your ticket is. Um, if this were um, an ordinary industry, this is called a contract of adhesion. In other words, you don't have a choice. You can't negotiate the terms of the ticket uh, contract. So 
under most state laws, there is an implied uh, covenant of fair dealing that uh, whether it's in the contract or not is required. However, the airlines are exempt from all that, and they have um, only to comply with uh, DOT and FAA regulations, which uh, right now do not uh, prohibit them uh, penalizing passengers. And the question really becomes, uh, well, how much of a penalty uh, should they be able to enact before uh, this becomes clearly unfair, which is another uh, trigger point that could uh, get the DOT to uh, take action. Has Have we seen any uh, instances where uh, a customer, a flyer on these airlines have sued the companies? Because I, I have to imagine from their perspective, again, um, is there is there any legal standing for them? Yes, because when you buy a ticket, you're also signing up to their contract of carriage. Mm. And if it has a clause in there saying you're not allowed to do this, then uh, technically you're in breach of the contract that mm. you thought you signed or you don't actually sign it, but which you're uh, technically obligated on. Is there that there are websites out there that are that are meant for finding ways to to facilitate skip lagging and finding ways to get you to where you need to go and and getting on these connecting flights is is how are they viewed and then what ramifications or repercussions do they face? Well, one of them, uh, I believe it's, it's skiplag.com has been sued by the uh, by airlines. However, the suits were apparently uh, settled or dismissed. Um, and some of these websites have been around for a while. Um, it, it, is, it is definitely in a gray area right now. Um, from the standpoint of passengers, uh, Flyers Rights believes that uh, this should be uh, within reason, this should be legal. Mm-hmm. And the airline should be prohibited from uh, penalizing people for uh, essentially doing something that, as you say, is should be within reason, um, particularly if you give notice that you're going to be getting off at an intermediate stop, the airline should be able to then uh, utilize that uh, sure. empty seat and uh, actually make more money instead of less money. Yeah. And of course, you're, you're also uh, being inconvenienced because in this kind of situation, you're not going to be able to check a bag. Um, and you may, you may have other uh, limitations, which uh, would be inconvenient uh, if you were taking. Yeah, like you really trip. can't schedule like a round trip flight, right? Because on the way back, you're going to have to find another way home. You're going to have to find a different way to get back. It, 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 it can be tricky for passengers, but if you're willing to, to go down that road and be that rebel, uh, perhaps it pays off. Paul Hudson, good stuff. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. I'll tell you, from my perspective, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that the airlines should be enforcing any sort of action against people who do this. It's like going to a restaurant, like right. You go to a restaurant, you buy a prime rib, you get uh, a fully loaded mashed potato, the whole deal, and you eat half of it, and then the waiter comes around and says, "You must eat the rest of your meal," and they just shove it down your face, like. You've already, you've done your job. You've provided what I've ordered. Now get away from me.
Yeah, if but, I want to eat three bites and throw the rest away, that's my business, not yours. The point is that the 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 second half of your your trip, they could be putting more people on the plane, and you're you bought you have that but seat, and they can't sit on it. You paid for it. Yeah, if I it's paid done, for it and I don't. Want there, to your it, transaction is over. Yeah, but I see where they're coming from. They can get more people on a plane if you're just of not going to use they it. Can. I agree, but. You make this option available to people. That's true. Yeah. You and give people the option of the layover to save a couple bucks. And if it just so happens that I'm in the, the layover spot, well, that's not on me. Mm. You make that option available. I, I don't I, I am vehemently against this. I think these these airlines should back off. And maybe drop prices for direct Dr- flights then. or drop height, try yeah. drop price, drop prices for direct flights. Agreed. I, I'd love to hear from you. Are, are you for this? Are you for being able to take part in this? Or do you think the airlines have a right to crack down on it? I absolutely do not. You've given people the option to choose a, a, a connecting flight, and it just so happens if they live there and it's cheaper for them, uh, they're going to take advantage. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Got to take a break. More next on JR Afternoon. End your workday with Mitch Album at 4. And Sports Wrap with Sean Belegian at 6 on 760 WJR. Now back to Chris Renwick. So Skip Light, hey, look, it's confusing. It is. But it is, if you can, if you are in a position to where you're only flying to one spot and the connecting flight's cheaper, you get that. It's ridiculously confusing. And Thomas joins us. Hi. Hi. How are you, Chris? Good. Isn't it weird? Yes, it's very weird. It's I've weird. never heard of it. Me either. I not. I was talking to my wife about it. She was talking to me like I knew it. I'm like, what are you talking? I don't even know what you're saying. Skip lagging is what it's called. But if you could save a couple hundred dollars, couple which, hundred would you bucks? do it? Ann? No, I wouldn't do it. Why? Not even to save. Like, say you and I are flying fly somewhere. You could save four hundred dollars. <laughs> you wouldn't. You wouldn't think about it. No. Really. Uh-uh. Girls well, stick together. Way here. too confusing. You're for kind me. of a Girl Scout, so mm-hmm. I, I should have known that. I'm a good that. girl. Yeah, that's true. Keep that in mind. <laughs> well, here's the thing: is the airlines are pissed. Well, you can imagine they would be. The airlines are angry. They're going to stop it. I contest. The transaction's over. I You've given me this option of buying a flight with a connecting stop. You've given me that option. I only choose to to exercise one leg of that flight. What are you going to do about your luggage? Well, so if you're, you can't check it, right? Because if you're getting on a connecting flight, for example, then you can't, your luggage wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to put your luggage on the plane um, because it's already loaded. Or if you're just going that first leg, you're getting off. So you can't you can't be like, oh, by the way, here's my stop. You'd Can have you have to travel very you gotta go light. Yes. Yeah, you're going to go mm-hmm. carry on. Yes. Um, so if you want to weigh in, 800-859-0957. Ann Thomas would not do it. I would. I would. It's like going to a restaurant and eating half your burger. And then the waiter comes by and says, you're going to have to finish that. And it's like, <laughs> no. No, I've already, I've ordered, I'm paid, I'm done. I'm going to eat whatever I want. I mean, I don't think it's unethical or anything it's like that. It's not unethical. It just seems odd. It's odd. Yeah, Apparently it's this odd. has been happening forever. Wow. For decades. I had no idea. But there are websites out there that are specifically that geared you? to finding you your, your destination through a connecting flight. That's interesting. Wow. Um, 36 years ago today, you were returning... To the beautiful Detroit area from your honeymoon, I understand. Yes, I was. Um, And 
in your travels from the airport to your house, you got a call from somebody here at WJR. So actually, by the time I got to the house... Okay, so you got home. Yeah, I got home, yes, because the crash was in the evening, and I got home a couple hours before the plane crash, and I got a call here from the news director at the radio station who said... You got to go. Flight 255 has gone down 36 years ago today. 36 years. What do you remember about that day? Well, the first thing I remember is we got home. Yeah. And we were unpacking and the call came. And all of a sudden, I am frantically getting ready to go again. And my husband said to me, wow, so soon you're (laughs) done with me? (laughs) She's packing up again. She's leaving. Where are you going? Yeah. And so then, you know, obviously, we knew very quickly what the problem was. All the bulletins and alerts were coming in. And I remember racing out to the airport, and it was a hazy, hot night. And then I just remember starting to smell the smoke and trying to figure out how to get close to the scene and, you know, try to figure out where they were going to be holding the press conferences. And um, I just stayed up all night covering that story. So when... When you got to the the site, obviously it was a mess. How yeah. close were you able to get? Not close at all. They would not let us very close at all. So they all. had that thing roped off pretty yes. good, pretty quick. Yeah, pretty quickly, actually. Yeah. We ended up being stationed at a couple of the different hotels, you know, right around Metro Airport. So that's where the NTSB would hold their press conferences. Mm-hmm. And so we would basically kind of camp out at the hotel. And every time there was an update then, you know, we would be at the update and then we would go right on the air right away. The other thing was we were also off of, I believe it was off of Middle Belt Road. Mm-hmm. There were hangars there. Yeah. So by it was by the Wayne County Sheriff's Department. There. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And so there were also several press conferences there. Now, those press conferences. Were those local authorities there? Yes. And okay. the, the thing I remember about those press conferences, ugh, it's not good. I remember that those pre- press conferences were always about the people that had that yeah, had died and kind of giving the count and what was going on and talking to the families and that kind of thing. And was that mostly were, were there mostly our people there resident Michigan residents on that flight? There were a lot of Michigan residents on that yeah. flight. Not completely, but there were a lot. Yes, definitely. And what was the issue was it was it what was the what did they the say cause was of the, the crash? Yeah. I believe the cause of that crash had something to do with the flaps on the wings not being set right. I think there was a couple of different problems, but I do remember that it was the flaps because to this day, not that this makes any difference, like I know absolutely nothing about flying, (laughs) I always take the time to look to make sure the flaps are Do you really? Yes, I do. I was very traumatized by that, Chris. I mean, I'm traumatized. I have to hop on a plane here in a few days and... Yeah, I don't want to think about that. I actually was afraid. I hate flying. Fly, flying is my biggest fear. It's a so big it's not fear my, of mine, too, but I actually loved to fly before that crash. Did you really? So it yes. completely changed your it outlook. It completely changed my outlook. I became very afraid of flying. I actually went through a course because it was so traumatizing to me. I just felt terrible. 148 passengers, six crew members killed. Um, and, of course, there was one survivor. Yes, Cecilia Sheehan. Four years old. Yes. Out of, out of all of the carnage, out of the sheer, you know, 
the, the utter horror of that incident. It's one little, it's like, you know, the, the flower in the, in the trash pile, right? It's like one little thing came out of this four year old little girl. Yes. Hope. A lot of people yeah. have talked about, yeah. you know, hope and, but still what a tragedy. The whole family gone. Yes. I have a question. How did she survive? Do you remember? Well, she was in her car seat, I believe. Oh, yeah, that. So I imagine that the car seat protected her uh, to some extent, but really, Danielle, it's a miracle. It really, it has to be. You know, it's you it's a it. divine intervention. It's just and, extraordinary. And you got called back. You you got home. You got called over there. How long did did you have to stay out there on the crash site? How long were you there? I remember staying out there most of that first night. And then we started bringing in other reporters right. in the early morning we hours. We out of there. And then, but yeah. I would always go back. Sure. You know, throughout the day to all of the different press conferences. <laughs> the other thing is the NTSB, you know, they're pretty amazing. When yeah. they go to a plane crash site, they are really helpful. You know, they want you to know what's going on. And they were just extraordinary. Well, at least 36 years ago, they, they were. <laughs> well, yeah. I haven't, thankfully, haven't had yeah. to do that in a very long time, but they were very helpful. Mm. So, yes. Yeah, I think about it all the time. Do it's, you really? Yeah, I, I can still picture it. I can still smell the, the smoke, and I can, st- I can see the hazy night. Yeah. What a weird also, you know, you're, you're coming off a high, getting married, and, and <laughs> going on your honeymoon, and then you're back, and it's like plane crash. Right. Death and destruction. Right. Brings the job right back to you, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yes, a real wake-up right. call. Yes. Um, well, I'm, I'm sure it's not something that you care to remember often, but it is pretty defining in a reporter's life when you're dealing with that kind of incident. Right. And I have since gotten over the fear of flying. Well, sure. Yeah. yeah you got to fly. You, you know? got to. Yeah. You can't drive to Florida like I did six months ago. <laughs> ever again. Now, never. With two little kids. Ever again. <laughs> ever again. Never. <laughs> Planes it is. Never Helicopters doesn't matter. I know. Good God, I know. All right, <laughs> and thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, we got to take a break. Uh, Lions in town hosting the Jacksonville Jaguars for joint practices. We'll get an update on that next here on JR Afternoon. All right, welcome back. 348, time to give away these Barry Manilow tickets. He's coming August 22nd, Little Caesars Arena. Need you to be caller number nine now. 800-859-0WJR. 800-859-0957. Get your pair of tickets to go see pop superstar Barry Manilow in concert at Little Caesars Arena August 22nd. The undisputed number one adult contemporary artist of all time. Backed by popular demand this summer on his Manilow tour. Uh, Of course, Barry Manilow, Grammy, Tony, Emmy Award winning music icon whose success is a benchmark in popular music will bring high energy Hit pack concerts to cities all around the nation. You can also text in 800-859-0957. Text the word Mandy. Mandy? Barry Manilow? Mandy? Okay. Mandy. 800-859-0957 uh, for a bonus chance to win. Of course, official rules can be found at WJR.com. Tickets available for purchase at 313presents.com. And I'll ticket master outlets. Mandy. Okay. Um, Mandy. One of his big hits from I the seventies. I, 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 but I thought maybe it would be like Barry, eh. Mandy. Okay, eh. but that's cool. Um, Lions in town, joint practices. Yes, sir. 
Uh, Chris, Jacksonville Jaguar action. Always a pleasure. Let me Steve just say Gordon. this, hey. please, if I may. Yeah. Our conversation brought to you by the Performance Remodeling Sweepstakes. Yes, baseball in the D is continuing in full swing. May have some good news in just a bit. Meanwhile, football is back. Performance Remodeling invites you to get in the game with their $100,000 window of opportunity sweepstakes. Log into windowsroofingsiding.com for a chance to win Performance Remodeling's $100,000 window of opportunity sweepstakes. Yeah, joint practices uh, going on uh, in Allen Park with our beloved Honolulu Blue and Silver and the Jacksonville Jaguars, a team that, uh, like the Lions, many, Chris, considering to be on the uptick last season, 9-8, and eight, they win the AFC South. Uh, funny what happens when you hire a legitimate head coach. How about that? As they did with Doug Peterson as opposed to that fraud Urban Meyer. I digress. <laughs> um, it was per- potentially... An expensive joint practice session today because the Lions, we know, uh, lose Jamison Williams, uh, came up lame, limp, if you will, uh, clutching his right hamstring on a deep route. Amon Ross St. Brown also exited the practice today with an ankle. It is not perceived to be serious, but we'll find out more. Either injury or just Amon Ross? Well, uh, Amon Ross. Uh, Jamison mm. Williams, uh, he just can't uh, get through this hamstring ordeal. Uh, missed a few practices earlier in camp, you'll recall, uh, because of a hammy. And then you take a look at his limited ability to get his work in during training camp because he's still eyeballing that six-game suspension for gambling. Uh, it's my nature to leave you with some good news. Uh, Lions got several players back on the practice field today. Uh, defensive end Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, cornerback Cam Sutton, as well as running backs Jamar Jefferson and Craig Reynolds, and uh, receiver Trinity Benson, all back in action. And it's a good thing Benson's back because all of a sudden they've got some number issues at that wide receiver position because going into today's joint practice session with the Jags, Denzel Mims, Maurice Alexander not able to go. Mm. Well, it puts puts a a, a strain certainly in that receiving core for the time being. Yeah, for the time being. Uh, But you know what? Uh, Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, it's going to be interesting to find out uh, how Dan Campbell is going to handle this. Uh, he is allegedly going at it full throttle, uh, getting his work in first week of practice uh, with his new team, your Detroit Lions. And I found it interesting uh, doing some light reading, as I've been known to do. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater says he is looking forward to mentoring Jamison Williams. Now, that could be exactly uh, what the second-year wide receiver needs, a veteran uh, like Teddy Bridgewater saying, look, dude, you've got all the talent in the world. You need to you need to bring it back here a little bit. Well, look, he's made some mistakes, whether it was obviously the gambling stuff, whether it was, you know, I, 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 I'm under the the assumption that if 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 something happens that is that is going to impact your season, you probably should lay low. But no, he went to Vegas instead. Then he's lighting off fireworks. And it's like I. Look, you're a person, you do whatever you want. But there's kind of a lot of pressure here on you. And there's a, a, a pretty big boatload of expectations for him. Well, and because of everything you just discussed, and I think it's way, way, way too uh, too premature to be breaking out the bust word. Uh, but some people have already alluded to that uh, on a national scale. And again, I think it is extremely premature. But does the kid have some growing up to do? I think he does. You have to understand exactly what it is you have 
uh, at your availability here. Yeah. And that could potentially be a very lucrative career as a professional athlete. But as they say, and far be it from me to be cliche, um, to whom a lot is given, a lot is expected. You know, you depending on which sports books you subscribe to, the over-under for both of these teams, nine and a half. Like, these are two very similar teams in that they're both – uh, expected to do pretty well this season, mm-hmm. both expected to make the playoffs this season. Um, you know, some differences, obviously the Jags feel like they've got a franchise quarterback, young quarterback, the Lions are in a different really spot. Really came of age a year ago. Really uh, did. There were, there were some big question marks, some big fat question marks about Trevor Lawrence going into last yeah, year. Yeah, but you know what? You you brought up a very important name, somebody who almost ruined his career, and that was Urban Meyer. Yes, sir. So. Uh, you take it for what it's worth. Uh, KB, well, you were out at uh, I was out there practice today. In that heat. What'd you think? After I passed out and got up, I yeah. thought, uh, yeah. you know, usually during training. That's why you have, you're wet all around here. Somebody around was splashing water on you. You know, face. I did it because I think the people of your show deserve to Good. hear what yeah, went on. Yeah, I appreciate there. that. Yeah, uh, Only for you. Uh, you know, usually it's 90 people on the practice field during um, preseason, you know, mm-hmm. before they make the cuts. So now it's 180 people in uniforms out there. It's just like, like a yeah, madhouse. It's, yeah, yeah. it's fans everywhere. But the one thing I was worried about, Jameson Williams again pulling up with a hamstring, it looked like, mm-hmm. injury. And even if it's not serious, and like I said, he's going to miss the first six weeks anyway, he needs those reps of these last Gotta two get preseasons him. games. Got to get him. Now he, he'll be gone for three weeks. He can come back and practice after three. Right. But, he'll practice but the week. first three weeks of the season, he's got to be away from the team altogether. Right? He can't even right. be in the building. And when he comes back, you know, you're – game plan you're not trying to get him reps during those three weeks he can come back and practice so he needed these reps now this is when he gets in there and get 30 or 40 plays in during the game or whatever um were were either him or Amon Ra carted off no I'm around matter of fact he got wrapped up and stayed around oh he did yeah. okay good so good. that's that's good usually the, if it's something bad they took him in the trainer and got now he didn't talk after the practice he went in through sure. a side door or whatever but um he was out there James Williams once he left he left the field so hmm. We'll see how that works out. But, yeah, um, according to reports, uh, KB, you were there. He uh, clutched that hammy pretty good. Yeah. And the fact that the man He looked like is... Mike O'Hara after the fourth practice in a row. <laughs> after, after walking yeah. to get the mail? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, we were just talking before you joined us, Kenny. Uh, this is a pivotal point in time for uh, Jamison Williams, uh, knowing everything we know. And I was commenting that Teddy Bridgewater, uh, in the Honolulu Blue and Silver fold, uh, is going to attempt anyway to mentor Jamison Williams. Yeah. And, and that could be awesome. Yeah. And the one thing I'll say, first time I saw Teddy Bridgewater this close up since he was with Minnesota, it is so good to have an experienced backup. I know. There. I mean, Isn't he was great. great insurance. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, and that can, shows you you're a real contender. You can sleep well at night yep. knowing that if yep. golf goes down for a yeah, series, you got somebody. half a game or whatever you got somebody. game, you got somebody. That's one game. Somebody's, yeah, yeah, he's done it. Yeah, done it. Done it last year. Yeah. Done it or a year before, year before. Whatever it was. Yeah. By the way, the uh, joint practices uh, between the Lions and Jags will lead up to that second preseason tilt at Ford Field. Uh, interesting. One o'clock Saturday afternoon. Saturday. A little Saturday afternoon action. You better believe it. It's pretty good. And NFL Network now is covering it live, too. So it'll be a live game at the NFL Network. Okay, good. As well as local. Yeah, good. And I talked to Jason Ross, who was the new play-by-play guy doing the games. A young kid, 25 years old, yeah. who's doing games. Real exciting. Good. You talked to him today. Great voice for this kid, man. Good. So, Kenny, watch you want to dance? What do we got coming up? What? Well, we're going to talk about this Catholic case of the adoption. Okay. We're going to talk about Elvis' death today in 1977. Where were you at, Chris, at doing 1977? I was at uh, football camp for Dearborn Divine Child. 
What, what, 77? Yeah. yeah. I was not around. Okay. Really? Really? Yeah. His doctor said he died of constipation. I hope they put, sure. didn't put that on the... Uh, I think it's on his tombstone, right? I, I, no, but he, he died a... Uh, he, he was uh, put like that. He was indisposed when he had his... Oh, tremendous. What, All a, right. what a way to go. Yeah, what? I wish I could have. <laughs> All right, Mitch, I'm with the crew coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow. This is...